Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with losing the consciousness of God as we pick up in Numbers chapter 21, verse 7. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. People get attached to those, oh, that's where I accepted Jesus. Oh, you can't do anything to that church, you know. It was interesting when we were in the little sanctuary a block away, and, and we had grown to the place where we were going to have to move. And so the only thing we could do is put up a big old circus tent. And so that's what we did, put up the circus tent out here. And people were going around saying, oh, I hope we don't lose this neat, warm feeling when we move into a tent. Oh, that tent, I don't know. I just hope we don't lose this beautiful, beautiful feeling that we have when we move into a tent. After two years in the tent and this church building here was completed, they're saying, oh, I hope we don't lose this beautiful, warm feeling in the tent when we move into a building. (laughs) As though it were a building or a tent. The beautiful, warm feeling comes from the love of Jesus Christ working in our hearts and in our lives. And we could be meeting out on the grass or down at the beach anywhere and that neat beautiful warm feeling would be there because the beautiful neat warm feeling isn't in the building it isn't in furniture it's in the hearts of God's people and it's sad when people lose that consciousness of God or begin to equate the presence of God to a place to a building to an artifact to a piece of furniture or to a brass serpent or something else Hezekiah wisely broke that thing in pieces and said, Nehushtan, just a thing of brass. It's not a god. Now, if you go to the St. Ambrose Cathedral in Milan, Italy, you can see the glued-together pieces of brass and the people going up and offering their prayers and kissing the glass cover and so forth again because according to their story, someone picked up the pieces and now they've got it on display and are using it again. Nehushtan. But more important, in the New Testament, Jesus tells us the true significance for this brass serpent lifted on a pole. For when Nicodemus came to him at night and sought the way of salvation, Jesus said, Nicodemus, there's only one way, man. You've got to be born again. Nicodemus said, born again? What do you mean? I'm an old man. I can't go back to my mother's womb and be born a second time. What do you mean born again? Jesus said, Nicodemus, there are two births, one physical, one spiritual. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be uptight because I tell you, you got to be born again. But how can these things be? And Jesus, in answer to the question of, How can a man be born again? How can these things be? Answered Nicodemus and said, For as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
That's how a person is born again. By looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as he was lifted up on his cross and see that there God has judged my sins. And Jesus bore the judgment of God for my sins. As the brass serpent was the symbol of sin being judged, it was looking forward to God judging man's sins upon the cross. And God laid upon him the iniquities of us all. And he bore the sins of the world. And there God judged the sins of the world on the cross of Jesus Christ. And now you who are dying because of this deadly affliction of sin, all you have to do to live is to look to the cross of Jesus Christ and see that God has judged your sin and believe in him. So the brass serpent on the pole in the wilderness was looking forward to the judgment of sin upon the cross when Jesus would be lifted up there upon the cross and bear once and for all God's judgment for man's iniquities. And so the children of Israel set forward and pitched at Obah. And then they were now starting this journey on around, and it tells the various places where they were camping. Verse 14, and it said, Wherefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting book. I've never read it. And I suppose it's been lost, and we probably won't find it. But there's a missing book, the book of the wars of the Lord. But did you know that the Lord had wars? And... Uh, what he did at the Red Sea, the brooks of Arnon, and so forth. And so they came on around, and they went to Beer. Now, the word Beer means well, B-E-E-R. It's well. Beersheba is a well that the Lord spoke to Moses about. And he said, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well within my soul. No, they didn't sing that part, but... <laughs> so here's where you got the lyric for that song. Spring up, O well. And they encouraged the people to sing unto it. Sing unto that well. And the princes dug a well. And the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their shovels. And from the wilderness, they went to Matana and then on to the top of Mount Pisgah, which, from which they were able to look over the land that God had promised as they were now in the country of Moab. Now Israel sent messengers to the king of the Amorites, asking for permission to pass through his land as they did to Edom. The king of Edom refused, came down to meet them, with his army, but because the Edomites were actually relatives to them, they just went away peaceably and, and went all the way around Edom. But they weren't really related to the Amorites, and so when the king Sihon of the Amorites came out with his army, Israel smote him with the edge of the sword and possessed the land from Arnon to Jabbok, even unto the children of Ammon, for the border of the children of Ammon was strong. So 
they took over the area that was being possessed by the Amorites. Now, this is from the area east of the Sea of Galilee, north of Moab, and Jabok comes into the Jordan just south from Galilee. And so that area of the Golan, present-day Golan Heights, but not up as far as Syria, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee where, uh, was the area where the Amorites dwelt. That is the land that the children of Israel conquered. And later, part of the tribes settled in that land. It's great cattle country. And the Reubenites, the tribe of Reuben, were great cattlemen and uh, also were the tribe of Gad. And so half of the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben settled and remained permanently. Well, as permanent as the Israelites remained, they remained, though, on that eastern side of the Jordan River and settled that area up in there. Israel took all the cities and dwelled in all the cities of the Amorites. In some of the major cities, Hezbon, which was one of the major cities, it was actually the capital city of the area of the Amorites. And so they declared their victory and so forth in sort of a, uh, a song and, uh, or Proverbs. And so then they turned and they went by the way of Bashan and the king of Bashan came out to meet them with all of his people and the Lord said to Moses, Fear him not for I have delivered him into your hand and all of his people in his land and you'll do to him just like you did to Sion the king of the Amorites. And so they smote him and his sons and the people and there was none left alive and they possessed his land. So they're beginning to possess that land uh, there on the northern end of Israel and on the eastern banks of uh, the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. And so the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab, moving now south from this position. On this side of the Jordan River, or on the eastern side of the Jordan River, by the city of Jericho and Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that Israel, all that he had done to the Amorites, and Moab was very afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of the Moabites at that time. And so he sent messengers unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people that has come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth. They abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them and that we may drive them out of the land, for I know that whom you bless is blessed and whom you curse is cursed. And so the elders of Moab with the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hands, and they came to Balaam and spake to him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Stay here tonight, and I will bring you word again, and the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men that are with you? And Balaam said unto God, 
Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent them unto me, saying, Behold, there's a people that's come out of Egypt, which covers the face of the earth. Come and curse me them, that I might be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Listen, thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. So that's God's direct command. Now, this guy Balaam, interesting character. It would definitely appear that he was a prophet of God, though he was not from Israel. That God did indeed speak to him. In fact, some of the most remarkable prophecies of the Old Testament came out of the mouth of Balaam. What was his background? How is it that he knew God and was able to relate to God in such a special way? I don't know. It would seem that he was used to creating enchantments or curses, and that's actually what the king wanted him to do, is to create some kind of a curse against these people. Now, he had, he had a reputation for power in, in putting curses on people. And so the king sent the rewards of divination. In other words, when you go to a prophet to, to seek advice from God, you'd always take some kind of a gift for the prophet. That was the custom of the day. Uh, even in Israel, that was a custom. Going to the prophet, you'd take a gift for the prophet and ask him to seek uh, the Lord for you. But it was always customary to take a gift for the prophet. And so the king sent these messengers with a gift, with a command that he would put a curse on these people that had come out of Egypt and were now bordering his land. For I know whomever you curse is cursed, whoever you bless is blessed. So Balaam sought the Lord, and the Lord said to him, Don't go to the king and don't curse these people. God's direct command to Balaam. And so Balaam rose up in the morning and he said to the princes of Balak, you better go home for the Lord refuses to give me permission to come with you. So the princes of Moab, they went back to Balak and they said he won't come. He said the Lord won't let him come. And so Balak the king sent back more honorable princes, men of greater stature as far as the government was concerned. And the king said, Don't let anything keep you from coming, for I will promote you to great honor, and I'll give you whatever you want. So come and curse these people. So... Now, more important princes, offers of, of you, you know, you write the check or you name the price. I'll do wonderful things for you. I'll promote you to great honor and I'll do anything you ask. But don't let anything keep you from coming. So Balaam answered the servants of Balak and said, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of God to do any less or to do any more. So he said, wait tonight, and I'll find out what the Lord will say unto me. Now, I can imagine that this night, 
Balaam was really laying it upon the Lord. Lord, please. Because he was thinking about these great rewards that had been offered to him by the king. All this loot. Man, he was really drooling. Lord, you know, I'll be good, I promise, but let me go, Lord. Just let me go. Please, Lord, let me go. I assume that this was the case because the Lord gave him permission to go, but yet when he went, it wasn't God's will for him to go. And I do believe that it is possible for us to enter into a gray area of what is termed the permissive will of God. Yes, God will permit you to do it, but he doesn't want you to do it. And I believe that a person can zero in right in the heart of God and the direct will of God for his life. You can be right on dead center with God's will for your life. And I think that there is a gray area that you can get over into which God will permit you to do it. But it isn't really his direct will. He isn't really pleased with it. But he is, you, you've insisted, you're pressuring, you're forcing, you're whining, you're crying. Ah, go on then, you know. Oftentimes your kids, you know, they've laid it on you like that. And you say, oh, okay, go ahead and go. But you really don't want them to. You're so tired of hearing them gripe and whine and complain. Get out of here. Go ahead. Go on. Tired of hearing your complaining. And so I assume that this was the case because God said, all right, go. And God said to Balaam at night, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. So Balaam rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. God was angry with him for going. Now, God expressed his direct will in the beginning. Don't go with them. Don't curse these people. That was God's direct will for his life, but he was going off into an area God permitted him to go, but God was angry with him for going, leaving the place of the center of God's will. I think that it is possible for a person to do that. But out of the center of God's will, you can run into all kinds of problems, all kinds of adversities. And before he had gone very long, very far down the road, an angel of the Lord stood in the path with a drawn sword, ready to take off his head. But fortunately, his donkey saw the angel, though he didn't. And so the donkey turned off the path. And Balaam took his stick and hit the donkey and got it back on the path. And they were going through a vineyard, and in those vineyards, they have rock walls along the pathway to keep people from going over and picking grapes. And so he's going between these rock walls, past these vineyards, and the angel of the Lord stood in the path again. 
Balaam didn't see him, but the donkey did. And the donkey sort of tried to edge over against the wall and got Balaam's leg pinned up against a rock. And he beat that poor little donkey again. And so again, he got him going down the road. And the third time, the angel of the Lord stood in the path. But this, place, this time, there was nowhere for the donkey to go. So he just sat down. And Balaam began to beat him again. And God opened the mouth of the donkey. Now, to me, it is an interesting thing, the great pride that some people have because God has spoken through them. God spoke through me. <laughs> you know, like you're something super special because God spoke through you. It is true, God still speaks through donkeys today. And that should deflate anybody who, who, who thinks there's something special and something really glorious. You know, people ought to bow to them because God speaks through them. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Numbers on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Numbers 21 through 22 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you in His love and grace. May the Lord watch over you, and may you be filled with His Spirit and walk in the strength and in the power of the Spirit of God as He anoints you day by day. May you be enabled by Him, alert unto the Lord in these last days when the world around you is walking in its drunken stupor. May your mind and heart be clear, sensitive to God things of the Spirit, in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For years, Pastor Chuck was asked thousands of questions. This new guy that my mom married, he thinks that the Christian beliefs are foolish, and I was wondering if that's going to like affect my mom's walk. 
I'm a Christian. I'm trying to fight the addiction of smoking. And are those things going to keep me from going in the rapture? Is it okay to use your tithes and give it to someone who's going on a mission trip instead of giving it directly to church? The Word for Today is pleased to present an ebook called Biblical Counseling by Chuck Smith, listing over 200 topics that include Pastor Chuck's commentary and the scripture references he used. Topics include addiction, business relationships, depression, lawsuits, sexuality, training children, and so much more. To download the Biblical Counseling ebook by Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. Or you can call 1-800-272-9673.